The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Hello, Crosspoint. My name is Beth, and I am one of the pastors here. I am the small groups pastor, and so this weekend is kind of like my weekend, which I love because I love community more than anything. So I just want to start off with a story. When I was eight years old, um, my grandpa Martinez, so it was my mom's dad, was dying of cancer, and he had been about a year and a half really struggling with it. And so we lived in Torrance, California, and they lived in Denver, Colorado. And so every other weekend for a year and a half, my family would drive to Denver, Colorado, and we would go and we would see my grandpa and we'd spend time with him and hang out with him. And uh, Friday after school, we'd get home Sunday, you know, two, three in the morning, go to school, do it all over again. And we get a phone call in the summer that it's going to be a little bit different, that Grandpa was really declining and that it was time for us to um, say goodbye. And so this trip was going to look a little different. It was not a see you later, but it was a a goodbye. And so we all travel down there. I'm uh, one of four children, so six of us pile in the car and drive to Colorado. My mom was one of 11 living children at the time. And so, you know, this was a big family. And we would get there and pay our respects. And one by one, the families would go back there. And Grandpa would give a little bit of a prayer for them. He'd just tell them something that he thought was important. And so we get in there, and my uh, grandpa's talking to my parents, and then my older siblings, and then he gets to me. And I don't know what it is about the, like, older you get, you feel like it's necessary to pinch ears. But he pinched my ear, and he pulled me really close, and he told me two things, and it's two things I will never forget as long as I live, because it's the last two things he ever said to me. And the first thing he said is, always serve the Lord. Always serve the Lord. And the second thing he said was, always love your mama. And with that, that was the last things that he said to me. Why do I tell you this story? Because the last things that people say usually are what they have in their heart as the most important. That these are things that they really want to communicate with you so that you fully understand if I've got nothing left in life to say to you, but I'm going to say this to you, this is what it's going to be. And so my grandpa chose to say, always serve the Lord and always love your mama. We are going to dive into Jesus' last prayer before the crucifixion, where he chose and took time to pray to his father, and he has some really important words for the disciples then and for the disciples now. So I'm just going to take a moment to pray. Whoo! Jesus, God, we love you. We thank you so much. We thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for... um, Sending your son to die for us. God, we thank you for um, everything. God, we just bind any distractions and anything happening outside. um, But God, that we would be solely focused on you. And so we love you and praise you in your name. Amen. Amen. So we are going to be in John 17. We're going to be a little bit ahead of what Grant just read. And I want to start off with you guys to know that what had happened is Jesus is preparing 
for his departure. And so in that, what he's doing is he had just met with the disciples and he had just washed their feet. He had just spent time with them. He had kind of given them some last words. And then he says, all right, I'm going to go and pray And he goes off to pray, and this prayer is so beautiful. And so we're going to jump about midway through the prayer to give you guys some context. So we're going to be in John 17, starting in verse 11. This is Jesus praying to his Father. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of your name you gave me. I guarded them so that no one was lost except the one headed for destructions as the scriptures foretold. And so he's saying this now, I am departing from the world and they are staying. He prayed with this departure in mind knowing that there are things that must be communicated before his de- departure. He knew that the disciples were going to experience something that they had not been expecting, right? Jesus had been leaving them clues all along saying, my time is coming, my time is near, my time is coming. And like the disciples, we're also a little dim, right? We're like, what is he talking about? He's not dying. That's so fun. That's so weird, right? He's like, I'm trying to prepare you, but he knew that they were going to have to watch their leader get beaten, Their leader get crucified. He knew that they were going to face things that they were not expecting. And so he said, I have to go and take time to pray for them. He knew that they needed the Holy Spirit and that they probably weren't going to fully understand exactly what that meant. He knew that he had to be an intercessor for them. We need Jesus as our intercessor. Like, I want to start that for you guys right now, that we need Jesus to plead on our behalf. Think about that for a second. The creator of the universe, Jesus, who holds salvation in his hand for you, is now praying to his father for you. How incredibly powerful is that? And we just read over it like, oh, Jesus is talking. Like, what? Jesus is talking to God the father for you. And there is power behind that. Um, You can uh, stick your finger in the Bible in John, and we're going to flip over to uh, Romans. We're just going to learn really quick, just like the briefest. I love the Bible. I had like 14 pages of scriptures. Thought like, well, we'll just condense it a little bit. So Romans 8.34 Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Jesus is pleading for you. When you think about your your children who maybe are not serving the Lord, that you plead on their behalf. Now imagine the one who has the power to save them is pleading for them on your behalf. There's power in that. There's power in this prayer. Hebrews, you're going to go way a little farther down, almost to the end. Hebrews 7, 24 and 25. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He lives forever to intercede with God on your behalf. 
And we get a glimpse into what that prayer looks like in John 17. We need Jesus to pray for us. We need him to protect us from the enemy and the evil one that is around us. We need him to protect him from ourselves, right? And from the things that we think and the things that we have to do. We need Jesus to pray for him. And what he says here is protect them through the power of your name. Jesus is praying in the name of his father. He's not saying, you know, protect them through the power of this mystic or of an angel or even protect them through your pastor. Protect them through Steve Redden, right? Steve's not here, so I can make fun of him as much as I want, right? He's not saying protect them through your small group leader. Protect them through your parents or your family. He knows that the only way that we get the protection that we require as believers is if you protect them in the name of God. Because the, the power of protecting a believer is so significant, it takes the name of God. It takes the character and the authority of God, and that is who he is praying to. And then he says, protect them so that they will be united just as we are. That his prayer was, is that his believers, his disciples, would go on and to be united. But let's keep reading in 13. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world, so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to this world, just as I do not belong to this world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Guys, we don't belong here. Stop acting like it. That's just, that's just 50 cents for you guys, all right? Here we go. And he says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they may be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for whoever will believe in me through their message. So right there, what Jesus is doing is he is praying with expectation that the disciples are actually going to make disciples. And so he says, I'm not just praying for these guys that are around me, the ones that are here right now, but I'm praying for all the disciples that are to come. So what does that mean, guys? He's praying for you. Jesus is praying for you. And it's this powerful thing for him to say, I recognize that my disciples are called to make disciples. And I'm going to pray for those disciples and those and those and those. And that we who sit here and have asked Jesus Christ into our heart can say with certainty that Jesus prayed for us. I don't know. That's pretty powerful to me. He went to the cross knowing that his work would endure. He went to the cross knowing that it wasn't going to be for naught why he was doing it. He didn't go in there with a vague idea. He didn't go with a hope and a prayer, right? He went with a full confidence that the work through the disciples would be going through. He went through a full confidence knowing that his disciples who sit in this room would do what Jesus asked them to do. Verse 21. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. 
I have given them glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love me, that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. So what does unity look like? We all have our own filters of what we think unity would look like. I have been praying about this for a really, really long time. A few months back, I was praying and saying, okay, God, what do you, what do you want for Crosspoint? What do you want for small groups? What is it the thing that you have ahead of us that you want? And while I was praying, I felt very clearly that I heard radical unity. And I am a 90s kid, so I was like, yeah, radical <laughs> unity, right? Like, yeah, let's go. But then the more as I started delving into it, I wrote it up on my board, radical unity. And this conviction came in my heart of like, are we united as a church? And what does that look like? Are we united as, as a body? And even more than that, is our body of Christ united with other bodies, right? We are just a kingdom outpost in the giant big capital C Christian church. And we all are required. The unity wasn't just for the unity in this room. The unity wasn't just for the unity in your small group. But it was for the whole body of believers to be united. And that conviction started to impress on me. And I wrote a prayer on my wall. I don't even know what it was. But I have a giant whiteboard in my office. It looks like the, the pains of a crazy person. So don't ever go in there and try to make sense of it. People go in all the time. They're like, and I'm like, yeah, I'm weird. It's fine. So I, I wrote this prayer on there, and I circled, and all of these words started to convict me because we don't know what unity looks like. We think that unity sometimes has to be this forced legislation. What I mean by that is, like, here is the rules, and you must comply. So if I were to go and I would say to this section right here, you know, by all the power invested in me and Beth, like, you must do something, you guys would look at me like I was, like, out of my mind, right? Like, what is she talking about? Like, why, why does Beth have the authority to say that? The unity can't just come from rules. It has to come from the nature of God. And how do you get the nature of God is by asking him into your heart. That if you are a believer and you're walking with God, you start to have that nature of God. Because it's the same nature of God and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that united them. Are you tracking? And so if you have that inside you, your very nature will start to want to be unified. They're, they're, he prayed for their continued unity. Because in a time like that, when their leaders fall... Most people would scatter, right? Most people would run and go all these different places. And this particular group of disciples is, they're not meant to be united. We have Andrew, Peter, James, and John. They were fishermen. We have Matthew, who was a tax collector. He literally stole money from the people that he's now working in a group of disciples with. And he just did it, right? Because that's what tax collectors did. He needed, he wanted a bigger truck, right? He wanted uh, more gravel in his pavement. And so he just had the ability to go up and say, hey, Christy, you owe me more money. And she's like, 
I have to do it. And that's one of the disciples. And then we have Simon. And Simon, I love Simon because he was a zealot, right? Simon was there to overthrow the government that Matthew worked for. And Jesus said, I'll take them all. And let's put them in a group. Let's see. And so he knew that he had to pray for unity because without the Holy Spirit and the nature, they would go. Now think of that in your small group, that I don't want us to be this holy huddle where we're all the same, where we all think the same and vote the same and dress the same and eat the same and do everything the same, because then what happens is we think that that is what unity is, and we miss a point. Radical unity does not mean uniformity. Radical unity does not mean uniformity. And if you're looking at your notes, I messed up. It says radical unity is. This is what it is not. It does not mean uniformity. What it will mean is unity of spirit, unity of mind, and unity of purpose. When you get those three things unified, it will mean radical unity. So what does radical unity of the spirit mean? I have to tell you, I've been serving the Lord almost my whole life. I grew up in the church. And when I felt this, this impress upon me of this radical unity of spirit, it felt very um, Christianese, right? It felt like one of those things that the pastor says, and let's let that happen. And everyone goes, yes, amen, hallelujah. And then they leave and they're like, Wait, what, what exactly is that? So I want to break it down for you because I don't want to just throw terms at you and say like, yes, and be a football coach and say, go get them. And then you're like, I don't know the plays. Here's the plays, guys. We're going to be in Ephesians for a while. So you just want to go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, skip a few. And we are in Ephesians 4. This is Paul writing. And he says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. I want you to just stop at that word beg. Have you ever begged someone for something? Have you ever felt so compelled in your heart to earnestly beg someone for something? Right, because it's in your heart, it's this desire, like, I really want you guys to do this. And Paul is saying, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. And here's how. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father, who is all over all and living in all. So what he's saying in there is, if you want to have a unity of the spirit, you need to behave a certain way. And then you need to be bound in peace. You need to bind. You know what binding is? You need to tie yourself together with peace. And some of us don't fully understand what that word peace is. My mom grew up in the 60s. She was 16 in 1960. And she told me that there is no world that we've experienced today 
like the 60s, right? Like there was some weird stuff happening there. And she said, but this idea of peace was so lackadaisical because the idea of peace was we just don't talk about anything, right? So it's kumbaya, but we're turning our eyes and we're not really looking at what's happening, right? We're not talking about the issues, but instead what we're doing is just saying, ah, peace, peace, peace be with you. But no, when you bind yourself together with peace, we don't stuff down the issues. We talk about the issues, but this is how we talk about them. Family, I'm asking you that when you talk about issues, you talk about them with love. That the filter that everything you guys talk about is through love. So that we can have differences. We can have things that we don't agree with. But we can talk about them with the filter that we love God because God loved us first. Right? And so because of his love, we love God. We love others. And when we love others, we treat them like we love them. There's a concept. And so then we do it in peace. That we make allowances for other people's faults. That we don't have this record of, well, they didn't say hi to me. Pretty sure they rolled their eyes at me. They did this. They did that. They did this. But instead, it's always be humble. Because there is one purpose, guys. And the enemy will distract you. Unity of the spirit is we are bound in one body, the body of Christ. One spirit in the Holy Spirit. One baptism in the Holy Spirit. That if you have asked Jesus Christ to live with you, that the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you. One God, our Father. And that is what it means to be united radically in one spirit. But we're going to keep going because then it says, and then radical unity will be united in one mind. So you're still in Ephesians. We're just going to go down a couple of verses to verse 20. He says, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about what Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead... Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. What happens is when you have accepted Jesus Christ in your heart, in Romans it talks about that through the inside out you start to become transformed. That the more Jesus you have inside of you, the less of the world you can have inside of you. Right? So um, imagine this. This is a children's church 101 thing. And they, they put two cups up here. And they fill one cup with dark water, and that's sin, right? That's the enemy. But it says you've accepted Christ, and then you keep pouring the good water in there, and then all of the dark comes out, and you're pouring it and pouring it and filling it, that there's no room. But what happens is, is we like our old nature. We like to give the excuse of, like, I'm sassy. <laughs> so I can be rude, right? I could say whatever's inside my heart because that's who I really am. No, sister. Brother, you are a child of God. You are redeemed. Throw off your old sinful nature. Stop glamorizing the past of, well, this is what I used to do. But you don't do it anymore. And thank God for that. You have been redeemed. You have been saved. You have hope. Stop acting like you don't have hope. Stop walking like you're not redeemed. Stop focusing on, well, I used to. 
and live in the new nature, which is the one mind. And we get that from the Holy Spirit, and we get that one mind from being in the word of God, right? Where do we learn who Jesus is? In the Bible, right? Well, let's try it one more time. Where do we learn who Jesus is? In the Bible. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand upon it. You read about it. You know about it. But do you read it? Because if you read it, the more you know about Jesus, the more he fills you, the less time you have for garbage. The less time you have for the world. That is why every single week in small groups, most of our small groups are sermon-based small groups. So everybody, if you pull out your program, on the back you guys are writing thoughtful, beautiful notes, right, about this wonderful message, or drawing pictures, that's totally fine too. But if you open it, every week in small groups we have this, it's called an intersect. It is where the message intersects with your life. You're welcome. For those of you that did not know what it meant, there you go. This is what it means. And then in small groups, every week, we take whatever was taught. Because we don't believe, like, we just stand up here and yell at you for 45 minutes, and then you, like, skip home, and we're like, yay, let's go back to our old life. No, we dig deeper. We dig deeper in the Word of God. We ask really, really, really hard questions. And you're sitting here, and you're like, well, then I don't want to join a small group. But do you want to grow in the Lord? This is a tool that we use, and there are many tools, and this is the tool that Crosspoint uses, because I believe it's one of the best, is being united with a group of people to love you and hold you accountable. To be able to read a scripture and be like, I don't know what that means, and there's no judgment there. They're not like, ah, well, I learned this in third grade. No, they're like, oh, let me help you. Let me help you understand it. Let's, Let's learn about it. Let's grow together. When you have issues and struggles and things that you're going with and you're like, I don't know who to ask for to pray because I'm embarrassed. You have a small group that says, I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. I want to pray continuously for you as you go through this struggle. And so the thing of being united in one mind is that we have this total mindset, mindset of who Jesus is. We have this total concept of who Jesus is because we're so, we're so educated in it. Who remembers those bracelets, WWJD, right? I told you I'm a 90s kid. Woo, right? What about what would Jesus think? What would Jesus think right now about what some of you guys are thinking? Ooh, right? What would Jesus think about your thoughts driving home in traffic. What would Jesus think? And are you thinking the same things? Is your mind one mind with Jesus? Or is your one mind with the world? And then the beautiful thing about that is that our minds can think different things as long as we focus on the one mind of Jesus and the gospel. Right? That we can have different opinions. We can all have different walks of life from a hairstylist to an IT engineer, which I don't even know what that is. My husband's a safety specialist. I'm like, band-aids? Like, what do you do? Right? But you can take, 
Love you. You can take a safety specialist, and you can take a teacher, and you could take a stay-at-home mom, and you could take a college student, right? You can take a lawyer. You can take all of these different people, and you could put them in a small group, and we all have different minds. We all have different education. We all have different, I tried saying the word last night, and apparently I said it wrong, socioeconomic statuses. Oh, right? I'm not going to try to say it again. But we have all of those different backgrounds of where we came from. But we can have one mind united in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus died and rose again for your salvation, for your hope. That is what we see is true and the truth that comes from the Bible. And we're united in one mind. I just want to finish that little one mind in Philippians. Philippians 2 says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me, Paul, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. So agreeing on the gospel wholeheartedly together, loving one another, and working together in one mind and one purpose. Radical unity of purpose. What is the purpose of your life? What is the purpose of this church? What is the purpose? There's this book written years ago, fancy book, it's a great book, a Bible study about your purpose-driven life, right? But I could have saved you some dollars and cents and told you in two minutes that all you have to do is read the Bible and he tells you what your purpose is. And if you know what your purpose is as a believer, and everyone can agree based on the word of God, then you know how to be united with purpose. And you can still have the purpose of being a mom, an educator, a college student, a a professional, whatever it is. You can still have that mind. You can still have that purpose of, I want to create a good life for my family. There's nothing more that I want in the world than for my two daughters to love Jesus. That is part of my purpose, but it's not my main purpose. Your main purpose is not whatever identity that you have other than following Jesus Christ. More than anything, they they said, someone said, you know, well, I'm a conservative Christian. No, you are a Christian. I am... This time, that. You are a Christian. You are a follower of Jesus Christ, and that is your main identity, and that is the purpose that then filters out with everything else. We're going to go to John, John 13. If you, uh, before where you just were, this is Jesus talking. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your what? Love. Love. Not you're being a jerk for Jesus, right? (laughs) Not you being a giant turkey standing on the corner yelling. Your love. How scary is this world when we are the representation to know who Jesus Christ is? Right? It is your job. I stand up here and yell at you. I can do whatever I want, right? 
But it's not just on me. It's on you. Hallelujah. Praise God. I don't want to take it all on. So you, they need to know how you love. And how do you really love? Because he says, love like I've loved. I don't know about you, but I can love, like, I mean, I like you, right? I might get coffee with you if you go to the place that I want to go to, right? But what does it look like to really love someone who's different? Someone who votes differently than you? Someone who dresses differently than you? Someone who raises their kids differently than you? Dates differently than you? How do you love someone who is not a Bronco fan? I know. I've been struggling with that a lot, being in this area. Right? Football season's coming. There's some mean people out there. (laughs) How do we love? How do we love? Because that's how the world is going to know. That is how the world is going to know who he is. It's up to you. Are you doing it the right way? And then he says in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, he had this, the commission, I am giving this to you and telling you this is what you must do. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority on heaven and on earth. Therefore, because he's been given all authority, therefore, whenever you see a therefore, don't start reading there. You want to ask, What is it there for? And then you read before, and it says, Because Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority under heaven and earth, therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given to you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even into the end of the age. You're not alone. He's giving you a commission, but then he's not kicking you off the Titanic with, like, water wings, right? And he's saying, well, let's see what happens. He says, no, I'm going to be with you. But you still got to go. I love people so well from my couch. I have the most comfortable couch. It kicks up, right? A little side table next to me. It's got nail file. It's got Coke Zero, 14 remotes. You guys are great from my couch, right? I, love, I don't care what you're doing. I just love you. Oh, look at them on Facebook. They're happy. Yeah, Instagram. Yeah, yeah, love, love. love. But he says, go. Amen. Get off your couch. Yeah. Don't just do it in here. Please do it in here and love well. But don't love well out here and then be a turkey out there. Don't walk out of here and go to a restaurant and be rude, right? right? You cannot make disciples to people who you are rude to. You cannot ask people to come and know Jesus when you cut them off, right? There are so many things that we cannot do to make disciples, but what we can do is we can love. Can you love? Can that be the purpose of you today when you walk out of here that you love others? John 17, going back to that. Jesus prays. For unity. Verse 21, I pray that they will all be one. Jesus prays for unity. Verse 23, 
I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Radical unity is that we would be radically united in spirit, in mind, and purpose. What is your purpose? What is your purpose? There are so many divisions in the church. There are so many divisions in the body of Christ. And I, I interviewed, I asked a whole bunch of people, I have this giant list. I felt really convicted last night as I was about to read it that you guys know what they are because some of you have them, right? You guys know what divides the church. You know what divides the body of Christ. And some of them are silly and some of them you have just your whole heart on there. But I want to tell you that when we focus on why we are different instead of why we are the same, then what you are doing is you are dividing and you are, you are making it not as potent as the power of Jesus Christ because you are filtering it with your filter of whatever is dividing in your mind. And I want to tell you right now that I love you, but I'm going to ask you to stop. Stop doing it. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. It says, well, I mean, I love Jesus. But that church... They don't do, they should do, that believer, woo, ew, stop. If you are older and you are raising people to show them what division looks like, stop it. Shame on you and stop it. We are called, I am called that we would focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can have those disagreements, but if we filter them through love, it's okay. If we filter them and have conversations, but we still say, but I'm on the same train as you. I'm on the gospel train. I'm not on the, the ESV train, right? Or the, the NLT or the King James or whatever, because that's the thing we fight over is Bible translation, stop it. And the enemy is just eating popcorn. <laughs> He's like, I didn't even have to tell them about that division. They came up with that one on their own. He's like, mm, this is good popcorn. I was going to watch him. He's not bickering. He's not whispering in our ears. It's in our hearts. And then we take what's in our hearts and we say, oh, I just need to vent. Stop venting. Get on your knees. Talk to Jesus about it. Right? Oh, I just needed your perspective. I'll give you the biblical perspective. Stop it. It's not worth it, guys. It's not worth it. Paul wrote this letter to Corinthians, and uh, if Paul were to write a letter to the church today, it would look a little bit like the letter to Corinthians, right? It would be a letter that I would not want to read. Like, if we got it delivered to us and they said, this is Paul's letter to Crosspoint Church, I'd be like, here you go, Steve. <laughs> right? That's all you, bro. So he's writing this letter in 1 Corinthians 1. And in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you. This is like I beg you before from earlier, right? I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, 
by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? We have that authority because we know he prayed for this to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Has Christ been divided in your heart? And we can laugh about some of these divisions as the worship team comes up. But you can say, oh, that's just silly. I will tell you one just because it's really funny. Folgers, Cross Point Church serves Folgers coffee. And that divides some of you guys. Of like, I'm not coming to their church because they don't serve good coffee. I got to tell you, my parents will only drink Folgers. I'm sorry. Right? But it's so silly. But then it stops us and it says, no, that's not, a, that's not a church I can go to. That's not a thing that I can do, so let me talk about them. Can we be radically united in one spirit, mind, and purpose? I want you guys to dream with me for a second. And I am a big, nerdy dreamer. I annoy half of our staff because we've just finished a task, and I'm like, here's the next one. Because I just sit, and I'm like, Jesus, what do you have? And I want you guys to dream for me right now. That everyone leaves here, and you guys join a small group, okay? Dream number one, check, right? And in that small group, you've got lots of different people in there. You've got people that you would not pick in your MySpace top eight, right? That's a really old reference. You've got people that you would not pick to come over to your house for dinner. And you find yourself sitting on a couch with them. And you're like, well, I know what they did at the school board meeting. I know this and this about them. But just dream for one second that we can say, do you love Jesus? Is your purpose to go and make disciples and do it because we love each other? Then let's, let's hold hands and pray together. They don't do that in small groups. Don't get weird. They won't hold hands. Okay. But, like, we're going to be united in small group. And we are going to love each other so much that all of those differences are just things. But my focus every single night that we meet is that we grow as we follow Jesus, that we discover more things about him so that we love so well that other people will see the way that we love. I want to give you an example of that. As you're still dreaming, just imagine. I invited my friend to church years ago, and I had invited her several times, and she told me one time, I'm never going to church. Your church is a cult. And I was like, well, that's not nice, right? And so she was a little intimidating, and so I kind of stopped inviting her to church. And then we got pregnant, and I had my daughter at 28 weeks, 12 weeks early. She was two pounds, six ounces. And the world stopped, and she fought for her life. She coded once, and it was the hardest time in our life. But you know what happened? My small group happened. My church happened because we were at Rady's in San Diego, and they would leave at 5 o'clock, and all of that traffic, and they would come out there knowing they couldn't see me, knowing they couldn't see Abigail, and they would drop off food. They would drop off clothes. 
Someone came one time and said, can I rub your hands with lotion? What? Can I love you really well? We had three very, very naughty dogs at the time, and someone came and watched our naughty dogs for us. The way that my small group and this church loved us was unreal. It's like it happened for this message, but it happened because my friend said, wait, what? Normal people don't do that. Normal people don't go out and help like that. Normal people don't give up their time and their money to help someone. Let me come to church. And she started coming while I was in the hospital, and that's the wild thing because it bums me out. Because I was there for 12 weeks, and she was coming here. Because she was like, what? what are you weirdos doing? And she gave her heart to the Lord. And she got baptized, and she serves here. And now she's one of the weirdos that are in small groups that is loving on people. What if, guys? What if your small group can love like that? We have 24 small groups here. What if all 24 small groups can have one united mind, one united purpose, one united spirit, the purpose of loving each other so well that other people know who Jesus is, that they want to be a part of it, that they start coming? And then what if Crosspoint could be so united in love that people say they're different? And then what if not just Crosspoint, but other churches? Student ministries already started this. Last year, student ministries, our high school and junior high student ministries, went to winter camp with three other churches. And if you were to put them together, like, it just didn't make sense, right? One massive church, one medium-sized church, one smaller church, one a little bit more hallelujahs and demands, right? And you put them together, all different denominations, and they didn't try to get other people to come to their church. You know what they did? Is they got united under the gospel of Jesus Christ that said, can these students come to know who Jesus is? And can we love each other so well that we're not bound by what church we go to, that this will make a difference. And lives changed at that camp. Students gave their heart to the Lord at that camp. Students got baptized after that camp because we united and we didn't care about the differences. Can you do that? Is there something that is stopping you right now where you're like, that's a great message, right? High five. But you don't know. You're right. I don't know, but I also, I care because I want you to go to prayer for it. I care because I want you to talk to Jesus about it. We have communion that we do during worship, and communion is going to look a little different. We can't blame COVID for not getting our cups in time, so we'll just blame FedEx. So <laughs> communion is going to look a little different. But before you go into communion and you talk about Jesus, the, the body that was broken for us and the blood that was shed so that we can all love one another, if you have got a difference in your heart, if you've got a thing that is dividing you right now, I ask you, I beg you, I implore you, I appeal to you, give it to the Lord. Don't run to communion because that's what everyone does. Instead, say, God, take it from me. Take it from me, fill me, help me. Let me grow from this. And if it's too hard, we have a prayer team in the back. And we have the best prayer team in the world at Crosspoint. And let them go back and say, it's too hard for you to shoulder. Let me carry it with you.
And then we worship because we will be united in one purpose, right? That we will come together and we will worship the Father. We will worship Jesus. Can you guys be united? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we so desire what you prayed for. God, I so desire what you want for your church. And so right now, whatever it is that is stopping that, that you would shed light on it, that you would expose it, and that if there is something hiding in the dark, it says where there is light, there cannot be darkness, that it would be exposed and that we can give it to you, Father. God, we want to glorify you. God, we want to honor you. God, we want to give it all to you. And so we bind the enemy in distractions and whatever it is. And God, we ask for that radical unity of what you prayed for. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.